I have a picture I want to show you. This picture was taken uh, just a week or so ago, I think it is. And uh, in this picture, you may recognize uh, the woman is Annie. And you may recognize Annie. She sings in our praise team here at the church. Her husband uh, right next to her is Andy. And uh, probably a lot of uh, kids in the church will recognize Andy. He runs our karate ministry on Wednesday nights. That's one of the options on the Wednesday night kids program. And Andy's very faithful to lead that ministry. And Annie and Andy are holding two uh, new twin babies, Caleb and Olivia. And it's a beautiful picture of a family. These are their first children, uh, Caleb and Olivia. And as you think about uh, new babies, and as you think about uh, what it's like to be a parent, perhaps if that's your experience, one of the things that I'm sure have gone through Annie and Andy's mind as they have been praying and thinking about these children is that I'm sure they have a vision or a hope or a dream for them in the future. What life will be like, and you know, when you hold a little baby in your hands, they're so full of potential and opportunity, and you can't help but thinking, what will the future be like? And you can have dreams and hopes for them, hopes that they will walk with Jesus, hopes that they will have a life filled with contentment and enjoyment, that they'll find meaningful occupation and relationships that are a blessing to them. This is one of the reasons why we ask parents when they go through the baby dedication here at Calvary, we ask them to write a prayer, a prayer of hope for their child, what they want their child to be, what they're trusting by God's grace, God's going to do in this child's life. And I'm sure Annie and Andy have the same experience holding their little twin babies and thinking of the future and what will it be like if, well, when these children grow up and be able to interact with them and perhaps they'll have their own children and and you can't help as a parent but to think about those things. But as you think about the future and what life's going to be like as a parent, at some point, the question dawns on you, well, how are we going to get from here to there? That you have this dream and this picture and this hope for your child, but then you begin to think, well, wait a minute, what do we, what do we need to do to make sure that happens? How do we get from here to there? The same is true in our Christian lives. Last week, God painted for us a beautiful picture of our future, if you're a believer in Jesus, a future in which we are obedient children, set free not only from all the sins we've ever committed, but even the ability to sin, gone forever. A picture of us standing before our righteous Father who is rewarding us openly for the service that we've done for him in secret. A picture of us enjoying relationships in the kingdom of God, relationships that death can't touch, relationships with our spouse or with children or with friends or a small group, people that we've served, that we've invested in. And that picture of the future in which those relationships continue on into eternity. That's the picture that Peter painted for us last week. But that raises the question, how do we get there? How do we get from where we are today to that beautiful, glorious future? Is there a role for us to play? Do we just simply sit back and say, okay, God, that's what you're going to do. Make it happen. Or is there some role for us to play to help ensure that that future that God wants for us and has for us is going to become a reality? And if there is a role for us to play, what is it? That's the question that I feel God wants to answer for us this morning. So if you would, would you take a Bible 
and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, if you're using one of the church Bibles, that's page 981. 981 in 1 Peter chapter 2, page 981 in the church Bibles. First Peter 2, we're going to look at the first three verses of this chapter. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As we think about the question of here is this future God has for us on the day in which Christ returns, and we're asking the question, how do we get to that future? We want to begin by thinking, is there a role for us to play? Is there something we're supposed to do? Are we supposed to contribute to our spiritual growth so that we end up at that future? Well, think again about Andy and Annie and their two little twin children. When you think about babies, one of the, frankly, frightening things about them, at least this was my experience, is that when you're leaving the hospital and you've got this child with you and you've put them in this car seat that you purchased, that you researched all the safety features online, that all of a sudden, at least for me, when I walked out the door, I was like, uh, wait a minute, you're just letting me take this thing home? <laughs> like, aren't you all coming with me? Like the doctors and the nurses, like, aren't you all going to come with me? Like, you're not going to entrust this child to me, are you? Like, where's the instruction manual? Where's the how-to thing? You know, what are you supposed to do day one? I mean, at some point, and the, and the reason is, it's frightening. The reason is, is because we're used to things that humans make. You know, cars that you have to learn how to drive. Christmas toys that you've got to assemble that are just going to break about 24 hours later. A stove that won't turn on unless you program it to. But a baby is not something that humans create. It's something that God has created. And so babies are different. Babies have in them life. And they're designed by God to grow. And one of the fears that parents can have is, is we can think, look, if I don't get the formula exactly right, if I don't feed that child at exactly the right time and burp them in exactly the right way and get them the exact right number of sleep, that somehow the baby's just going to fall apart. But that's not true. Babies are designed to grow. You don't have to teach a baby how to eat. You don't have to teach a baby how to grow. You don't have to teach a baby how to go to the bathroom. It's in there. It's designed as part of it. Babies grow. That's what they do. And some parents follow one path and some parents follow another path and they feed every three hours and other parents feed on demand. There's lots of different ways to do it, but at the end of the day, babies grow because that's what they do because they are created by God to do that. That's their default state. They grow. The same thing is true for Christians. 
that if you are a believer in Jesus, you have been born again by God's spirit, meaning that God has created within you and within me life, which means that Christians grow. That sometimes we think there's this magic formula, you gotta read the Bible this amount of time and you gotta pray this much time and you gotta go to church this much and you gotta be in a small group and if you get everything exactly right, then maybe, just maybe, spiritual growth will occur. That's not true. We are designed to grow. God has given us life. He's placed life in us. That's what's supposed to happen. Now, is there a role for us to play in that process of growth? Well, yes, of course there is. Even though babies are designed to grow, no parent just sits a baby on the ground and says, well, get going. That's your job. Come on. You're designed to do this. Let's go. No, we feed babies and we take care of babies. And as babies get older, they have some contribution to make in their growth as well. And Peter wouldn't give us instructions if there wasn't something we were supposed to do. But before we look at those instructions, I just want to set the context. Look, you're designed to grow spiritually. That's in you. That's part of the process. That's your default state. If you're a believer in Jesus, you are designed to grow, which means we're going to look at some instructions. We're going to look at some things that God has to say about how we can contribute to our spiritual growth. But it's very, very important up front for you and I to realize that everything is set up for us to succeed, not to fail. There's not some sort of magic formula that if you don't get it exactly right, your spiritual life will just fall apart. You see, the problem is, is too many of us know people who claim to be Christians, whose spiritual life is a train wreck, and we think that's the normal way it's supposed to work. It's not. God has placed within you life. Christians grow. And that when we look at these instructions, I want you to know up front, God has done everything so that we succeed and not fail. In fact, you have to work really, really hard to keep a Christian from maturing. You have to work really, really hard to keep that spiritual growth from happening because God has designed it into us. So what then is our role? Well, Peter gives us two instructions. One thing that if we want to contribute to our growth, we must avoid and one thing, if we want to contribute to our growth, we must embrace. So let's start with the thing that Peter says that we need to avoid. It's verse number one. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Now, at first glance, this can just look like a long list of bad stuff. Like Peter's point is avoid bad stuff. Try to be a good person and that will help you grow. But actually the translators have done us a great favor by showing that what we have here is not really one long list but three separate groups that are strung together. The first group is the word malice and then there's a second group with three items in it, deceit, hypocrisy, envy and a third group which is the word slander. It's not just one long list, 
Peter's saying, look, if you want to contribute to your spiritual growth, if you want that future that God has for you to become a reality, you must rid yourselves of three categories of things. Now, the first category is the umbrella term. It's sort of the overarching term. It's got the one word in it, malice. And malice means any sinful attitude or action. And the idea is Peter is saying, look, sin hinders growth. And just like a baby who eats poison or is exposed to sharp objects or is uh, uh, near fire, that there are things that can hinder a baby's growth. There are things that hinder Christians' growth. And Peter says, really any sinful attitude or action is going to hinder our growth. We're designed to grow. But one of the things that hinders it is sin. And that's because sin leads to death and death impedes life. God has placed life within us. And the default state is that we grow up into that life. But Peter's saying when you allow sinful choices, attitudes, and actions into your life, that brings death and death slows down life. Now you're saying, well, is the point just try not to sin? Well, fortunately, Peter has been more specific than that. It's not just that he says, well, try to do good and try to be a good person. He actually gives us some very specific things. Not everything. It's not all listed here. But some very specific things to avoid. And that's the next two categories. So whereas malice is the general category, any attitude or action, the next category are three attitudes that Peter says specifically look out for these. There are lots of attitudes that are not pleasing to the Lord. But when you think about spiritual growth, there are three attitudes that you have to especially be wary of. Deceit, hypocrisy, and envy. Now what those three attitudes have in common is that they are all falseness. That there is a falseness to each one of them. Deceit is trying to cover up something that you've done. Hypocrisy is pretending you are something that you are not. And envy is wanting something that God has not given to you. That in all three of these attitudes, there is this fakeness, this falseness of not honestly assessing who I am. I'm trying to cover up what I've done. I'm trying to put on a false front. And I'm thinking that I should have some things that God hasn't thought I should have. Those three attitudes all go together. And with them is paired that third group, which has just one word in it. And if malice is any sinful attitude or action, and deceit, hypocrisy, and envy are attitudes, the third group are sinful actions. Now, one thing that's interesting to me is that if I was making the list and I thought, what sinful actions really hinder people's growth? I would have put in things like sexual immorality or, or theft or anger or those kinds of things. It's really interesting. Peter doesn't pick any of those. In fact, he doesn't pick a whole list of things. He picks one thing, one action that when you're thinking about spiritual growth is especially detrimental. Slander. Now you got to think out of all the things you could put. Why pick slander? Well, it's because slander 
goes with deceit, hypocrisy, and envy in the same sort of way. Think about slander for a minute. What slander is, is to speak evil of another person. But why do we do it? We do it because we want to cut them down to size. We want to tear them down because then we don't have to think about our own shortcomings and failings. That if we're out tearing down other people, we don't have to feel bad about our own failings. If we can draw attention to what other people are doing wrong, if we can draw attention to other people's shortcomings, whether they're true or not true, then we don't have to deal with our own problems. And Peter has strung together four ideas, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, that really are all doing the same thing. They're all taking the focus of our, off our own failings and trying to not deal with them or focus on somebody else. So fo suppose, for example, you struggle with uh, angry outbursts. Deceit is to lie about those angry outbursts and to say, no, I don't, I don't ever do that. Hypocrisy is to pretend that you're super spiritual and so you must not have any problems and to focus on how much you read your Bible or how often you go to church or how much you serve in the hopes that you can paint this picture of a very spiritual person so that no one will know and you won't have to worry about the fact that you've got this really bad thing that's part of your life. Envy is saying, look, if I just had a better job, if I just had a better family, if I just had more money, then I wouldn't give in to angry outbursts. And slander is, if I can tear down all the people around me, if I can speak evil of them, then I don't have to focus on myself or feel bad that I have this thing. So Peter really only has one command here, one thing that he's saying to us. Be honest with yourself about your shortcomings. That if we're going to grow spiritually, we've got to be honest with ourselves. We can't put on fronts. We can't lie about the things that we're doing. We can't try to draw attention to other people. We can't have our focus be on other people. Peter's saying, look, if you're going to grow spiritually, you've got to be honest with your own shortcomings. That there is one thing more than anything else that hinders our ability to become the person God wants us to be. And that is refusing to be honest about where we fall short. Peter could have never moved from being a stumbling block to being a solid rock if he wasn't willing to admit that he was a stumbling block. That's part of the deal. So too in you and I. It's so easy to point out other people's failings. That's not going to help us grow. It's only when we're willing to acknowledge, I struggle with pride. I struggle with greed. I struggle with anger. I struggle with lust. It's only when we can be honest and say that to other people and when we can say it to ourselves that spiritual growth can happen. <clears throat> so Peter says, if there's one thing to avoid, one thing to avoid when you're thinking about growing and maturing in your faith, it's dishonesty. It's putting on fronts. It's being fake. Now, what about the thing to embrace? Thing to embrace, the command is in verse two. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. Peter says, to become the person God wants you to be, you must be honest with yourself, but you must also crave pure spiritual milk. Now, Intellectually, this makes perfect sense. Milk, yes, that's what helps babies grow. 
like babies who get a lot of nourishment, they grow strong and healthy, and babies who don't get much nourishment, they don't grow as strong and healthy. And so, yes, babies should drink milk. But the question is, what is spiritual milk for us? We know what physical milk is for a baby, but what's spiritual milk that we're supposed to drink? And then, why does Peter tell us to crave it? Like, it seems weird to command somebody to crave something. Like, craving seems to be something that should happen naturally. Why do we have to be commanded to crave something? Well, let's unpack the metaphor to try to answer those questions. What is the pure spiritual milk? Now, one of the initial answers to that question is, it's the Word of God. We do that not because of this passage, but because of some other passages where the metaphor of milk is used. In those passages, I do think it could refer to the Word of God. But here, I think that's too limited. And the reason is, look in verse 3. Verse 3 gives you the answer as to what the spiritual milk is. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Crave spiritual milk, that's something that you eat. Well, what is it that we've tasted? It's the Lord. And so pure spiritual milk are experiences of the Lord's presence. That as you interact with God himself, as you have experiences of his presence, that is tasting the Lord. That's drinking spiritual milk. Now that can come through God's word. That's why that's part of it. It can come as we meet God in prayer. It can happen when we gather with God's people. It can happen when a friend comes alongside of us during a difficult time and gives us a word of encouragement from the Lord. It can happen when a family member gently rebukes us or corrects us or tries to help us learn. It can happen where we're in a setting where someone exercises their spiritual gift and, and gives us something or teaches us something or shows mercy to us. All of these are experiences of God's presence. And Peter's saying, the more experiences of God's presence you have, the more you're going to grow. The more you interact with God, the more you're going to become like God. <clears throat> so now you may be thinking, so what you're telling me is in order to grow, I should read my Bible, pray, go to church, and interact with other people. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, well, I've known that for a long time. <laughs> well, Peter puts a slightly different twist on this. And the slightly different twist that he puts on it is, it's one thing to read your Bible for the sake of reading your Bible, or because it's a good discipline, or because everybody in your accountability group has said you're going to read the Bible together. And it's another thing to read your Bible because you want to meet with God. Reading your Bible is good for any reason, but it's a different kind of approach to open up this and ask, God, I want to meet with you. I want you to speak to me now. I'm not just trying to check something off my list to say that I did it. I'm not just trying to get done with my Bible reading so I can go to sleep. It's very different to actually read God's word looking for God's voice. A few weeks ago, I told you, if you're going through the middle of suffering, start reading in Psalm 1. And don't stop until you get to your psalm. What I meant by that was keep reading until you hear God talk to you in your situation through his word. And many of you have come up to me since that sermon a couple of weeks ago and have said with joyous smiles on your face, I found my psalm. 
What that means is you heard God speaking to you. And if you're a psalm with Psalm 27, well, when you read Psalm 26 or you read Psalm 25, it was like, well, I was just sort of reading. But when you read Psalm 27, it felt like you met God. That's what Peter's saying is now you have drunk deeply of the Lord's presence. In the same way, it's one thing to go to church simply because it's a good tradition. It's what everybody else in my family is doing. My parents say, if I don't go to church this morning, I can't go out tonight. It's another thing to come to church for the purpose of meeting with God. That's why I asked you at the beginning of the sermon, what do you need God to do in your life? If you need a word of encouragement, if you need some sort of instruction, if you just need God to be present with you and you come here on Sunday morning and you say, God, I'm here to meet with you, you're going to have a very different experience than if you simply say, well, I'm here because it's a good thing to be here. Now, don't get me wrong. It's a good thing. And some Sundays we come simply because we're supposed to come. But when you come looking for God and expecting God to show up, and he does, and there's some testimony in baptism or some song that seems to be your voice singing that song or there's some message from the word that is directly for you, you come away thinking God is good. That's what Peter said. You have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, that even though he's invisible, he's met with you. He's spoken to you. He's encouraged. That's what Peter's talking about. Same thing when it comes to prayer. It's one thing to pray so that you can get on to the meal. It's another thing to pray because you want to meet with God in prayer, that in prayer you can come into the throne room of the Father and interact with him personally. At the beginning of the sermon, I put up a picture of Annie and Andy and their two twin children, Caleb and Olivia. About a year ago, Andy and Annie were sitting, I think, in this section, either in the second row or the third row. I can't remember which one. Andy's in the fourth row today. <clears throat> and they were there, and I was preaching on 1 Samuel 1. It's the story of Hannah. And Hannah desperately wanted a baby from God. And so Hannah earnestly prayed. And if you remember in the story, she prayed not just like, please, Lord, give me a baby so I can get on and eat this meal. She prayed earnestly and desperately so much so that she was physically shaking that the priest Eli looked at her and thought she must be drunk because she was having such a powerful physical experience as she was engaging with God. Well, God heard her prayers, met her in that situation and opened her womb and gave her the baby Samuel. Well, Andy and Annie were sitting here in that service having known that most likely it was going to be medically impossible for them to be able to have biological children. And in the midst of that grief and that difficult and that suffering, God showed up. God showed up in that service and in that sermon and spoke to Andy's heart and Annie's heart and said, ask me. And so they came down front after the service and we prayed together, not just in some sort of perfunctory sort of normal way, like, Lord, please bless people. But like, Lord, we need you. Come into this situation. It seems like you want to show up and do something. It seems like you want to walk into this situation and bring your power and your presence. And here we are a year later, and they're holding two twin baby children that God miraculously gave them. 
that God answered that prayer and gave the... That's an experience of God's presence. And so the instructions to Andy and Annie is, keep going after that stuff. Keep trying to meet with God. Keep trying to experience God's presence. At the end of the day, to crave spiritual milk is a command, be addicted to God. That after you see God show up and do something like that, you want more. God's the only thing that fully satisfies. And if in your life you're pursuing alcohol or you're pursuing sex or you're pursuing popularity, it will bring some sort of comfort for a time, but it will not truly satisfy. And Peter's saying, get addicted to God. Crave his presence in your life because when God shows up and meets you through his word, through the community of saints, through prayer, through a word of encouragement, it's the most amazing thing ever. And whether you walk out of that meeting pregnant when doctors thought it was impossible or you walk out of that meeting with an overwhelming, inexplicable sense of peace or you walk out of that meeting with God having learned something about who God is that you never could have understood on your own or if you walk out of that meeting being encouraged that you're going to make it, that God is with you and not against you. Whatever it is, when you have that experience of God, it's the most amazing thing ever. And Peter says, the key to spiritual growth is simply want more of those. To simply become addicted to God. God has a future plan for each one of us. If you're a believer in Jesus, what God has in mind for you is to show up on the day that Jesus returns as obedient children, being rewarded generously by our Heavenly Father, enjoying the relationships that come through the Spirit on for eternity. Peter says, God's going to get us there. And praise be to God. But we have a role to play. And our role to play is, first, we've got to be honest with ourselves. We've got to be honest about where our shortcomings are. We've got to be honest about the fact that we are babies, that we're not fully there yet. Any small baby who pretends they already know everything about life, adults look at that and smile and say, isn't that cute? <laughs> Christians who pretend we've got everything all together, that we've got no flaws, that we've got no faults, that we're doing the spiritual life exactly the way it's supposed to be done. That's not very cute. Peter's saying, look, it's okay that you're not where you need to be yet. What's not okay is lying about it. What's not okay is trying to cover it up. It's normal, it's expected that you and I are still struggling with sin because Jesus hasn't returned yet. That's our struggle with sin is not going to stop our growth. What will hinder our growth is if we can't be honest about our struggle with sin. Peter says, not only be honest with yourself, but crave God's presence. Crave interactions with him. Desire them more and more. Come to his word, looking for his voice. Come to prayer, expecting to meet with him. Be part of the assembly of his people, expecting God to be present. And the more experiences you have, the more addicted you're going to get, and the more addicted you get to God, the more you're going to be changed to be like Him. Let's pray together.
Father, we are reminded that our souls are restless until they find their rest in you. That God, we do have a God-shaped vacuum in our life that only you can fill. Lord, many of us have tried to fill it with other things, whether as Christians or not as Christians, but God, only you satisfy. Lord, I pray that you would help us to crave you more and more. Lord God, I praise you. Lord, what an amazing story in Andy and Annie's life, Lord God, that you gave them these two beautiful children. God, you do stuff like that. Lord God, we've got testimonies all around this sanctuary. Lord, the testimonies during baptism, that's you, Lord. You're here with us when we sing. Lord, you bring joy and peace and comfort and encouragement. Lord God, you are what we need. You are what we long for. God, I thank you that you've made yourself available to us. Lord, nothing this world that has to offer can we desire like we desire you. God, I pray that you would create within us a spiritual hunger and thirst for righteousness, a spiritual hunger and thirst for your presence. Lord, that when we go through dark times, it might be your voice that is the light that illumines our path. Lord, I pray that when we're walking arrogantly, it would be your voice that we hear that brings us down and humbles us. Lord, I pray that as we are uh, feeling discouraged, it would be your voice and your promises that echo in our hearts and our minds. God, forgive us for trying to pretend we're something that we're not. You know who we are. Lord, you know that we are your children and that we want to grow up to be like you. Help us, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.